0: heights to the depths of the sea
1: so philip answered verse 7 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may even have just a little a denarius is one day's wage you work for that denarius back at that time for a whole day it'd probably be equivalent to 80 or 100 dollars, depending on what your job is and 200 denarii was about eight months of wages he says even if we had that much money Everybody wouldn't even be able to have just a little. Where, where are we going to find all of this?
0: Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. After Jesus asked Philip to obtain bread for the multitude, there appeared to be a problem in at least two areas. First, they didn't have the resources to buy bread and to feed the multitude. Second, even if they had the money, it would be impossible to purchase enough bread to feed them all. You see, Philip thought in terms of money and how much money it would take to carry out God's work in a small way so that every one of them may have a little. We often limit God the same way, looking for how God's work can be done in the smallest way. Jesus wanted to use a completely different approach and provide in a big way now here 's pastor rob 's teaching already in progress.
1: is going across. We take a boat uh, across here it 's a wonderful trip, but it 's about eight point one miles wide and about thirteen miles long, so quite a big lake it 's fed by the, the different tributaries coming from Mount Hermon. Uh, the Benaiah Spring and the others from the Jordan come right down, feed into it. Very fresh, clean, cold water. And as you know, it leaves the Galilee and goes down through the Jordan Valley into the um, around the Dead Sea where it's landlocked and doesn't go any further. But the, um, this place is a wonderful place. And as we look at it in this miracle that we're seeing, uh, it's helpful to just understand a few things. You know, as we look at this, we have to realize a couple of things. Jesus, before this miracle had occurred, he was in Nazareth. And Nazareth is to the west of what we see here, to the left of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus would walk down this valley, and you'll see the valley that he would have to walk through, which is very common. It's a very common road even today. And you walk down through that, and you get down to Gennesaret or um, Noph Ginnesar, which is where we spend four or five, about five or six days, actually. And um, but it's from here that they either launched out from here or in Capernaum, in the uh, north of that. There is a fishing village called Capernaum, and it's probably there that Jesus launched out from there and went across the uh, Sea of Galilee or the Lake to Bethsaida, and there's some speculation on how many Bethsaidas there are. Uh, there's certainly one over on the, um, on the eastern side over there, uh, Bethsaida. It's also called Bethsaida Julius, whom uh, Philip the Tetrarch had named after the emperor's daughter, whose name was Julius, so it was Bethsaida. It's a very fertile fishing village, except this one is about two miles in, inland, And so, and there's also another, perhaps another Bethsaida, and that's Bethsaida of Galilee, which is a place perhaps near uh, Capernaum, right there along the shore, probably not too far away from Capernaum. There's also another Bethsaida of Galilee, they call it. But it really makes no difference. But the idea is just so you can see the direction of where Jesus and his disciples got in the boat, probably from Capernaum, and went over to Bethsaida. And, and then he's going to come back there, as we will see uh, if we get to the end of verse 21. But John doesn't tell us precisely where this took place, but Luke tells us, that it was a place near Bethsaida in Luke chapter nine, verse ten, and this this lake it 's called many things it 's called the Sea of galilee it 's also called Lake Chinnereth or Lake Kinnereth, in the Hebrew Kinnor means harp, and wouldn 't you agree that it looks like a harp, and some think that that may have been where it derived its name could be it 's also known as the Sea of Tiberias on a, um, um, named after Tiberius Caesar because Herod, uh, Antipas, built this city of Tiberius, which is uh, just a little bit south of Capernaum, around 20 AD. It's also known as Lake Gennesaret or Gennesar, and Gennesar is right over here, right next to Magdala where Mary Magdalene was born. The place where we stay when we go to Israel literally is right next to Magdala. So all that area right in there is very... If we could go back 2,000 years, we would see Jesus walking those that ground with his disciples. Very fertile ground, very fertile soil, very beautiful, lush place, very wonderful place. And this is where it is. And notice, it says that a great multitude followed Jesus because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Notice the motivation. They follow because... He was healing. And there's nothing wrong, I guess, with following somebody who can heal because if I was in need of healing, I would follow Jesus too. But hopefully my relationship would grow beyond just getting a healing from him. It would grow into something more. And for many people, all it was was just, a, he was just a rabbit's foot. He was just a a, a miracle healer, worker. Yeah. And so... It says that Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, a Passover. We've seen this before in the Gospel of John. This, we believe is the second of three Passovers that are recorded here in the Gospel of John. The first one was in John chapter two, verse 13. We see one happening here, and we're also going to see one uh, in John chapter. It's mentioned in John 11:55. But also it, it, it's, it, it speaks of John 13 when it's in full-blown, when it happens. Three different Passovers. Because his ministry was three years. And so now we've got one year before he is going to go to the cross. That's where we are in the timeline here. And so then Jesus lifted up his eyes. And he saw a great multitude. As he is over here on the on the eastern bank over here in Bethsaida, somewhere in this area over in here on the eastern side. He's there, and he's up on a mountain, and he sees with his disciples a multitude coming toward them. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, Philip was from this town. Philip was born in Bethsaida. So he knew of the resources of the area, and and he was able to size up. Where are we going to get all this bread, Philip? And I wonder if Jesus was speaking kind of with his tongue in his cheek. Because Jesus knew what he would do. Notice that he specifically asked Philip, why didn't he ask Peter or John or James or somebody else? The answer may be in that Jesus knew that this was going to be a specific challenge or test that Philip specifically needed to go through at that time. And I want to encourage you, don't be discouraged when the Lord allows a test in your life to test, to see what you will do. See, God already knows what we are going to do. He knows the measure of our faith. I do not know the measure of my faith. And when he allows a test in my life, like he did with Philip here, he knew exactly what he was going to do, but Philip had no idea. Philip didn't even know what was within him. Do you know what is within you? Do you know your own heart? I'll be honest with you, I do not know my own heart. I'd like to think that I do, but circumstances come in my life and surprise me in such a way where I act in a way that I never thought I would act. Therefore, I really don't know myself like Jesus knows me. Have you been caught unawares in something? We all have. And then we're in awe at how we responded Has somebody, guys, at your workplace told a dirty joke and you just happen to be in earshot? And instead of just shaking your head or just walking away, you find yourself going, oh, I heard that one. Oh. Caught you by surprise. Or a phone call. Somebody visits. You get news of some unexpected thing that happens. See, God already knows the, the test and what it's for. God already knows the measure of Philip's faith. And he knows the measure that it isn't. He knows where, where our faith is and where it really isn't. And he allows these things so that we know. It's important for me to know at times where I really stand. Because, see, I, boast, I can boast of a big game and say, Well, I've got faith to do this and I've got faith to do that. And God has gone, Oh, my dear son, give it time. And I'll show you that your faith is in man. It's not in me. Your faith is in yourself and your own gifts and abilities. It's not in me, Rob. He has a way of doing that in my life, and I know he will do it and has and will continue to do it in your life so that we could be aware that we might grow. Because if my faith is not exposed for what it is or what it isn't, I usually don't grow very far. I don't grow very much. But when my faith is exposed, then I'm, I go to the, back to the drawing board. I go back to the source of the fountain of living waters. I go back to Jesus, and I say, Lord, forgive me. I thought I was really all that. And Jesus says, I know. You thought you were all that, but guess what? You're really not all that. Rob, I want you to know that I am all that. I'm the only one who is all that. And he can say that without boasting, right? Because it's a fact. It's a fact. He is all of that and much, much more. I, however, am the dust on the bottom of a shoe that's not even worthy to be stepped on. But God and he allows these things to happen in my life, just like he's He's allowing these things. So the Lord designs these things. Sometimes he even orchestrates them so that we can grow into Christ's likeness. But notice in verse 6, But this he said to Philip to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. This word test is a Greek word called pyradzo, or "pyraizo." And it literally means to to scrutinize, to test, to to prove, if you will, for the purpose of ascertaining quantity or quality of what someone thinks or how a person will behave themselves. That is a test. How am I going to behave? What am I going to do when certain things happen? Just recently I was tested. (laughs) We were out... Kayaking down by uh, Rondecoit Bay and I was, we took uh, the kayaks out of the water and I was putting them on the top of my jeep and, and I've been doing this for a while and so I was very comfortable with the process and I didn't realize and I wasn't paying attention there was a brand new car that just pulled up next to me and so here I am the lake is that way And I'm putting my kayaks on the car here, and I put one on, and then I have to go around. It's a long story. I won't bore you with it. But the problem is, a gust of wind, before I had an opportunity to strap one down, I would lean it a little bit and then go on the other side and strap it down. The wind caught the kayak and threw it onto the car next to me. The brand-new car looked really nice. It was such a nice car. (laughs) But the good news is, it hit his, his light, you know, or his rear view mirror on his thing and totally bent it in. It looked like it bent it, but it was just one of those movable things. And so we moved it out and, and everything was fine. There was no marks at all. And so we were, me and the owner of the car, are looking, I'm thinking, oh God, thank you so much. Nothing happened, right? He was satisfied. He's like, hey, you know what? Accidents happen. Doesn't look like anything. But then as I, um, and he started to walk away. And I looked at the car and I looked at it at a different angle and I saw there was a dent in the side of the car. And it was a test for me. I knew the test. As soon as it happened, I'm like, oh God, this is a test. And he's like, yep. (laughs) He was satisfied. I could have walked away. He didn't get my license plate number. I was free and clear. I could have got my family, didn't tell anybody, and just got in the car. (laughs) But the Lord says, you can't do that. And I said, You're right, Lord. This is going to kill me. Because who's got 600 bucks to blow on a, on a repair? And that's really what it was. So I looked at the guy. I said, Hey, come here for a second. And he goes, What's, what's wrong? And I said, uh, Your car actually isn't as fine as it is. Now, am I saying this to boast? No. But I am saying it because I was tested. And the Lord it tests us, He tests Philip. And they come. What are you going to do? Are you going to do the right thing or are you going to skirt the issue? And so I told him, I said, you know what? I says, I, and I said, the Lord wouldn't let me get away with this. I said, I could have driven away and you'd never know the wiser, but there's a dent in your car. I can see it. Look at, look at it with this, you know, if you look at it this way, you'll see that it's dented in. And he goes, oh, man. And he goes, man, I just bought this car. And I'm like, oh, man, you just bought this car. And I said, man, I am so sorry. And so I gave him my number. We worked it out, and it's getting worked on. But it was a test. It was a test. I remember another test that I went through, and I'm, I'm using myself as an example, kind of exposing myself But in that regard. but it's, um, We were at Wegmans, and there was another Jeep that parked right next to us, and, and the owner wasn't there. They were inside Wegmans. And so I get out of the car, and I just happen to look over at the car, because I'm into Jeeps. So I look over at the car, and I see a $20 bill laying on the ground. Hmm. I'm thinking, I'm having lunch this week. And nobody knows about it, right? So I put the twenty dollar bill in my pocket and the Lord goes, Rob, what are you gonna do about that? And I'm like, Lord, well, I don't know who the owner is. It could have blown from another car. And he goes, But it was right underneath the door from where the person got out, right? I'm like, You're right, Lord. What are you gonna do, Rob? What are you gonna do? So I'm not kidding. This is so interesting. So I I'm convicted, I start walking toward Wegmans. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go in there and talk to the person, is there anybody who has a blue Jeep Grand Cherokee, you know, and, uh, and then they come forward, hey, I saw this under your car, is it yours? Well, of course it is. <laughs> but even cooler, the, what the Lord did is, as I'm walking toward the entrance, I see two people come out, and I look at them, and the Lord said, they're the ones. And I'm like, this is going to sound really crazy, do you own that, that Jeep Grand Cherokee? They're like, yeah, why? And I said, um, did you lose any money and they said, yeah, we were just in there. And I, I didn't have, uh, it was a $20 bill that I had lost. And I said, I found it. Here it is. And their jaws just dropped. My jaw dropped because what are the odds of that? You know, Penfield Wegmans, there's like a billion cars. And I just happened to walk and I see them and the Lord says, there they are. And I'm like, okay. But it was a test. It was a test for me. I could have walked away free and clear. And again, I'm not trying to boast in any righteousness because deep inward, I'm a pig because I would have gladly taken that if I could get away with it. But the Lord... And actually, let me show you one other thing, too. This is actually my daughter and a, a friend of hers. We were at the campsite recently in Stony Brook, and they found a brand-new iPhone 12. I think it was a 12. Brand spanking new, and they found this phone in the, near the playground area. And so my daughter and her friend who was with her, they started going around everybody on the loop and saying, Hey, did you lose an iPhone? And sure enough, it got back to the person. But I thought, what a, what a test for them. I mean, if it wasn't for find my iPhone, they, they could have just taken it and, got, you know, and gotten, um, gotten away with it, but they didn't. And I thought that was a test for them too. What teenager wouldn't want a brand new iPhone? But praise the Lord, the Lord convicted them, and they're like, we got to get this phone back to its owner, and they did. So now Jesus is speaking to Philip, and it is, it's a test, isn't it? It's a test. I love what it says in, in James. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces patience when you're tested. In 1 Peter it says this, You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what it's all about? It's to refine us. It's to prove us. And I don't know what is in my heart until the trial comes and hopefully I pass the test. And if I don't pass the test, I've got some learning, some growing to do, some prayer to do. But I pray and I recognize that test as God's growth for me. See these tests as just that. And you're not going to surprise God if you fail. You're not going to surprise God if you pass the test. If you, if you fail the test, guess what? You take the test again. Like in school. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to take the test over again. There's a f- phrase that I love. It says, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. A faith has to be tested in order that it might be trusted. God knows the faith. He he didn't need to do this to Philip. He didn't need to do it to Abraham as he offered his only son on Mount Moriah there to plunge a dagger into his son's heart. He was going to do it. He was in the process. He was lifting up his hand and the angel interrupted him, intervened. Yes, he was tested. God knew what he was going to do, but did Abraham at the moment... I don't think Abraham knew what he was going to do until he lifted that that dagger and says, Lord, if I do this, you've got to raise my son because you've given me so many great promises that through his seed, all the earth will be blessed. So this is your problem. (laughs) I like that. God says, yeah, it is my problem and I don't have a problem with it. But you're having a problem. And then Abraham passes the test. May we all pass the tests as they come into our lives. Amen? Amen. So Philip answered, verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may even have just a little. A denarius is one day's wage. You work for that denarius back at that time for a whole day. It would probably be equivalent to $80 or $100, depending on what your job is. And 200 denarii was about eight months of wages. He says, even if we had that much money... Everybody wouldn't even be able to have just a little. Where where are we going to find all of this? The bread was not enough. The bread was not available. And they didn't have any money. Where our resources end, God's resources begins. Never forget that. And I'm learning that as I grow. I haven't learned it. I'm learning it. I'm, I'm learning this. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And can you blame Andrew for saying that? It's a very natural thing. We got this many people and this much bread and a couple of fish. Sorry, not possible. And in the natural, that is true. It is not possible. Sizing it up in the natural is very obvious, but we need to learn and to remember that when Jesus is in the midst, when it is His will, then there is no obstacle too big or too small for Him to accomplish. And we typically don't believe that until we are in a situation where we have to cry out to God because He is our only hope. Do you know that in other areas, in other countries in the world, these miraculous things are happening? Where people don't have anything and God comes through for them when they cry out to him. He does some miracle. God still raises the dead. He still provides for the hungry. He still heals the diseased and the wounded and the broken hearted. He's still doing these things. He's doing them here in our country too. And notice what Jesus said in verse 10. Make the people sit down. And now there were, there was much grass in that place because it is a plain, if you will, on this, on the east side of the, of the Galilee there. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. In Mark's gospel, in the parallel account of this, in Mark 6 verse 40, it tells us that Jesus made them sit in groups of 50 and in groups of 100. This made it, made it easier for them to distribute the food and to know how much they needed.